Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead. It's a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about Rosemary's Baby, which is Ira Levine's 1967 novel about a woman who is impregnated by the devil and delivers the world's creepiest baby. And you know that because he's a redhead. (laughs) So Katie, why Rosemary's Baby? Why Rosemary's Baby? I'm glad you asked. A lot, a lot of reasons why I wanted to read Rosemary's Baby. One of which is that I had never seen this movie or read this book before. So that's like an exciting thing. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. I don't yeah, see so how like, you could avoid it. Like, did you? Well, okay. I actively avoid it. I actively avoid anything scary. Okay. And so th- that's why this is like pretty dope for me is that I now get to know and have thoughts about the plot of a famous horror movie without ever having to have watched it. And (laughs) that is magical to me. (laughs) But the other kind of side of that coin is that who am I going to be associating with now? Like people who like scary movies are the fucking worst. Oh, please. Like, oh, I know how I'm going to scare myself. I'm going to watch a movie. It's like, do you lack any and all imagination? You've never, you've never had a neck pain and gone to WebMD. You've never had a fantasy that made you scared after your check engine light came on. Anyone ever take too long to text you back? The entire world is a horror movie. Why do you need more? <laughs> um, the other, the other reason, of course, for liking Rosemary's Baby is a love of baby movies. It's for a, for a brief and illustrious time my favorite movie was look who's talking the 1989 (laughs) classic where john travolta and kirstie alley parent a child who delivers adult-like monologues to camera and has this very famous amazing opening scene where a bunch of sperm are like arguing and shoving each other (laughs) on the way to reach an egg (laughs) and it's like set to i get around by the beach boys Um, (laughs) and it's also a work of satan so i feel really prepared for none of them has like tiny horns but they all have tails (laughs) that's true yeah that's true halfway there so (laughs) also that movie has Abe vigoda in it which i guess is like who i know because it's a horror he's a horror actor Mm -hmm. oh yeah which Katie know. wouldn't know because know you've never seen a scary movie. <laughs> nope, never have. Oh, this makes me so sad for you that you don't get the you don't get the rush of of the chill of a horror movie. I get the rush and the chill every time like my heart beats too fast when I go up uh, a flight of stairs and I'm like, oh my god, I'm dying. <laughs> I just, I, this is the imaginative realm of the 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 chill. It's just so it's so good. <laughs> All right, so I wanted to read this because it is one of my favorite genre novels, and we actually haven't had a chance to talk about 20th century genre novels very much. It's creepy as fuck. It has a very strong feminist program, and it was made into one of my favorite movies. I'm so sad, Katie, that you haven't seen this movie. It's like... I I just just watched it, and it is great. It's so good. I mean, even though it's like... A person is always a little like, oh, this is Cassavetti's side hustle, you know, but um, that's fine. I love him. I don't care. Uh, This is also like a great example of how genre fiction can help us see really interesting social problems in a way that straight fiction doesn't, which is something that scholars and book fans uh, and amateur book thinkers, people, have been increasingly aware of. (laughs) And like... 
I think from what I know, uh, from talking to people who work on genre, like the people who work on sci-fi are the best at this, uh, as I understand. And really serious scholars like Frederick Jameson have worked on sci-fi. Um, the only genres I know about are horror and true crime. And true crime is extremely reactionary, so that's not fun. Um, I'm also interested in reading this because I am uh, quite pregnant and it's like uh, terror mother movies have been everything to me, especially this and the Babadook and um, <laughs> that is a terror mom movie, dude. Um, and and they are they are like very sacred and i think i've already like broken the fetus but that's fine yeah it's it, it'll be fine <laughs> it'll be fine it'll bounce back. uh yeah i also had not seen the movie or read the book but meg as you know that is because i rely basically on you uh for 20th century stuff to yell at me until i watch it and then i'm like oh yeah you're right that was pretty good like so <laughs> also it just means that your your uh your canon is based on my like very idiosyncratic tastes, <laughs> which is pretty strange <laughs> add star trek tng which is all my own and I, I know that's something that we share, but like that's, uh, yeah. I mean, as a resource, I think you could do a lot worse. No, I agree. Um, but yeah, also, I want to say, as the parent of a three year old, um, as I've said, I'm very appreciative of literature that is aware of the fact that children are at very best demonic. Um, so yeah, welcome to Parenthood, Megan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Also, uh, you know what? I will tell you what is terrifying about this book Neighbors. Neighbors mm, are terrifying. Yes. Um, and the utter disregard of 1960s doctors for then non-existent HIPAA regulations. Sure. Um, you know, like, <laughs> like if your OB is giving your annoying neighbor detailed secret instructions for making you smoothies or telling you about your neighbor's secret European vacations, like run. That is that is not a good doctor. <laughs> like, it's true. Um, but no, I, I, I really did want to read this too, after hearing, um, Megan's uh, completely right. I think account of how this isn't so much or really at all about the devil and which babies, although Katie, I think you have different thoughts about that. Um, but about all these kind of patriarchal social structures, um, and, and that, yeah, that's kind of what I got from this. Um, and I really look forward to hearing more about that and talking about that. Um, and also, I do like how this podcast is making me read all kinds of famous 20th century stuff that I should have read and and have have not yet read. So, yeah, I mean, I think like w my take is a very like all of the above interpretive one on this. Like, if you think it's about witchcraft for real, I am down with that. The only take that I think is straight up wrong with this book would be like this is a reactionary novel about how like. Uh, the Satan is coming for all of us. No, that's insane. I mean, you know, that, about like, like a satanic takeover. I'm just like, that's wrong. Like, for, I mean, for one thing, like this is a, to me, like pretty clearly like feminist narrative that's coming through here, yes. you know? So, and again, I think that's like supplemented by thinking about the Stepford wives, which is his other sort of major book of that period. Yes. Yes. Okay. You're absolutely both wrong. And I'll tell you why she gets a short haircut. Okay. Case <laughs> closed. Case closed. In the movie, her hair is actually done by Vidal Sassoon. Yeah. And that's so just like Mia Farrow uh, fashion icon. It's just so iconic. I'm very into it. Okay. So context-wise, uh, Ira Levine is an was an American novelist and playwright 
who died in 2007, so fairly recently. Um, I think this is our uh, most recent novel thus far, actually. Uh, and he wrote a small number of very good genre novels, including Rosemary's Baby, The Stepford Wives, A Kiss Before Dying, and The Boys from Brazil, which is what now actually seems like a fairly insane uh, novel and movie about um, a Nazi conspiracy in which they've made all these Hitler clones and all these Nazi um, lackeys have to go all around the world killing Hitler's dad <laughs> to like to to nurture the nature. Like that's what happened to Hitler. So they have to like impose. This is like a Wolfenstein 3D sequel plot, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's fucking strange. But like again, they're in general really good. He doesn't have a big uh canon, but it's it's quite good. Um he had a pretty unremarkable or unremarked upon personal life. Um, although he was a he was a native New Yorker who refused to leave under any circumstances. Like he went to NYU for college and I I don't like support I kind of love people who are like, I will never leave New York because they're so weird. Particularly um, back in that era, like today, it's a yeah. little I think, you know, it's which is like, that means like, I'm a millionaire and intend on states, so you know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, right. But somebody who grew up in the, yeah. you know, in the 30s in the and 40s. <laughs> yes, exactly. Very different world. I can understand how you'd be like, don't you have to know your neighbors if you move? Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, so uh, his New York Times obit from, again, 2007 says he went to NYU, he was married twice, he wrote some stuff, and he didn't believe in God or Satan or anything. <laughs> okay, covers everything. Yeah. Um, this is like low-key relevant in that uh, he was he wasn't he didn't often comment on how his books were received, but he was mad that Rosemary's baby introduced all these movies about the devil. So the omen and and the exorcist and stuff because he was like this book, it's like what he wanted people not to do is get into satanic panic, right? Uh, I thought I thought you were gonna say he was mad about herb, uh, herb erasure, like you know, like <laughs> oh we have rosemary baby, yeah sure, but we do we have bay leaves baby, do we right. have <laughs> where's times baby, where's well you we know, have fucking some, we have the appearances yeah. of root and herb in the book yes we do that's why i think he'd be a champion of other herbs and it, no one took up the mantle that's you know <laughs> that is pretty sad I mean, and so also the name adrian did not become the name damien like why did that not take over as the Satan yeah. baby name that is true it is, it is very kind of it, it has a lot of damien characteristics to it i think you know yeah they, they sort of scan the same yes yeah so i don't really know but uh so the only thing he didn't like was that he peaked this uh, devil fear. Um, but as he said, quote, I still cash the royalty checks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. um, so that's great. But um, both Rosemary's Baby and the Stepford Wives are really concerned about the terror of the domestic. Uh, as Tristan said, don't know your neighbors. Um women's isolation and anxiety in the institution of marriage and paranoia as a domestic affect. So even though I can't, I haven't been able to find any evidence of like some kind of feminist ethos that he explicitly expressed. I think these novels in particular are concerned with 
woman suffering, marriage, and motherhood in really important ways. The novel can be read generically in a couple ways. I think it's a very sort of 20th century paranoiac um, thriller. I think you can read it as a gothic horror, especially given the sort of structure of the building. Um, And you can certainly read it as a locked room mystery, which I think is another way that could be cool. So basics that I think you need to know. Oh, yeah. I should note, I mean, like, I'm going to be tired of, like, I can't do too much of it because you haven't seen it, Katie, but toggling back and forth a little between the movie and the book. The movie, the movie is, is like, amazing. Yeah, and the movie is like, and pe- I, I read people talking about this, that like, it is an unusually like faithful adaptation of the novel. That's right. um, it is. Apparently part of it was that Polanski and, you know, fuck that guy. But like, For sure. Uh, yeah, fuck that guy. Absolutely. Yeah. But like, this was the first America, this was like the first feature like American film that he had done and he kind of didn't realize that the conventions of adapting a novel to the film weren't that you just you did the film version of the novel. And so he was like super obsessed over how to get every fucking detail onto the screen. But the thing is like, that's not normally a good way to approach something because a movie is not a novel, No, but in this case it works really well. The, The book is very cinematically written, I would say. Yeah. It does a particular kind of genre thing that I think lends it to that. I think it's not unlikely that Levine was aware that it would be adapted because his first novel, A Kiss Before Dying, was adapted after like a year of being in print. Mm-hmm. And that was like a, a, that movie was huge. Right. Right. So it seems possible to me that he was aware of that. Right. Um, I will also note, because it's like funny facts, that the uh, person who plays the sort of dreamscape devil in the movie is Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan? Oh, hell really? yes. That's really fucking funny. That's awesome. <laughs> um, which That's I fantastic. find it's just like really ups the, the the like delight I have in that movie. Yeah, no, totally. That yeah, that is amazing. That is amazing. Plus, um, like icon Ruth Gordon. Yeah. No, and, and I will say that the, the casting of the the cast of vets in the movie bore very and this is something that that you had said to megan that um bore kind of very little it, it is like that's one thing about the movie that i don't think is quite like the book isn't it like in the book particularly uh mini cast of is supposed to be like this very midwestern yes. reading person um and which is not the way she reads in the film <laughs> like she is definitely no, not at all at upper west side lifer in the film you know but okay so the summary of of the novel is that Rosemary Woodhouse and her doofus husband Guy, that's not his real name, he's changed it as he is an actor, move into the Bramford in Manhattan, which is a big, spooky gothic building full of gargoyles that has an unusually high number of suicides take place there. Um, So soon after moving in, they meet Minnie and Roman Castavet, an elderly Midwestern couple, well, she's Midwestern, he's from New York, who adopt them. And Guy begins spending a lot of time at their apartment. So although they had been postponing parenthood, Rosemary and Guy decide to start trying to become pregnant. And they set a date, like a calendar date, for highly erotic ovulatory coupling. 
Yeah. Oh boy. And, and Guy is like super, super into her, the details of her, of her menstrual calendar too, um, which is, yeah, know, there's, not they have a lot creepy. of stuff circled, <laughs> 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 which is like, okay, that's fine. Um, yeah. Cause he had been tracking it for the opposite reason before. And now it's tracking it for get people right. pregnant reasons. Right. Yeah. Sure. That's okay. Uh, but on the Dead night, for that. Yes, just very, you know, certainly a command that you would want your male partner to have over your life. <laughs> uh, on the night in question, Rosemary passes out hard. She thinks she's had too much to drink and she has this wild dream about the Pope, uh, some kind of weird ceremony and her husband raping her. When she wakes up, she's covered in scratches, and Guy apologizes for, you know, um, raping her while she's passed out. Uh, she's furious about this, but she goes through a lot of sort of heartbreaking justification about it. I think the book actually does a spectacularly good job in that yeah, no- you're aware that she she's amp- she's not totally positive. It's not it's not clear to her that this is marital rape and yet all of her emotional responses make it clear that it is. No, totally. Um and that actually was something that I found quite striking given when it was it was written and, and where where I completely agree with you that this is a very feminist narrative in that like yeah, I mean it 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 quite clearly is rape um and certainly it you know it like I think that there would be broad agreement uh in the 21st century but like in the 60s like marital rape was not a thing you could even prosecute and I maybe any state at that point it's like not until the 90s that those laws really kind of catch up with um uh, you know, with with the actual reality of what what that is, right? But it's mm-hmm. it really. I think the book in situating it in her f- anger about this, I think, really makes that point. I, I think I totally it just agree, like does yeah. a good job with thinking about that. I I think you're right. It's really striking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, just not anyway, something yeah. that if I just picked up a random novel from the 1960s and particularly one written by a white dude, I, I wouldn't necessarily right. be expecting that level of awareness. Um, and, and yeah, so I know I thought that I thought that was really um, quite, uh, quite well done there. Yes. Um, so soon, soon after, Rosemary does indeed discover that she's pregnant and she goes to a doctor that a friend has recommended Um but the cast of vets recommend a doctor that they know, and she switches doctors to um, Doctor Saperstein, who is like not super terrifying, but there's a there's there's some low grade anxiety about him. Um, as Rosemary advances in her pregnancy, she experiences this terrible constant pain and a hankering for raw meat. Until she tries to, she says out loud in front of the cast of it, so she's going to switch doctors, and the pain mysteriously disappears. So as she nears the end of her pregnancy, she receives a book from an old friend about demons and witchcraft and figures out that the cast of are Satanists. <laughs> um, of course, she does eventually go into labor, but when she wakes up, she's at home. Uh, they tell her that the baby has died. Um. So at the very end, Rosemary, who has been sort of trapped in this room, um, pumping, <laughs> pumping breast milk and getting increasingly paranoid, 
uh, she's able to drug one of the women who's been guarding her and finds she she travels through the the secret locked room mystery tunnel from her apartment into the cast of it and finds a room full of Satanists and there's this um, super gothy black bassinet in the corner. Looking into the bassinet, she sees this baby and direct quote, his eyes were golden yellow, all golden yellow, with neither whites nor irises, all golden yellow with vertical black slit pupils. Um, and again, he has red hair. So I think that he's like <laughs> half- yeah, I can't stress this enough. He has red hair. He's a half cat. I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Um, so the Satanists, they have this weird fight where they're like um, – because she thinks she's going to throw herself and the baby out the window, and then she's kind of convinced that she's going to be the mommy of the baby. And we close with her holding it and and cuddling it, and she's calling it by the name that she had picked, um, Andrew, instead of the name that the Satanists have given him, which is Adrian. And it's an exceptionally strange turn, I think, at the ending. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I just, but that 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 kills it. If you re- name the devil Andrew, he's no longer the devil, right? <laughs> but, he's an orthodontist. Yeah, yeah exactly. Is no. his name? Yeah, is Andrew John Woodhouse? He becomes like, oh, now he's 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 doing Jane Austen. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, oh, two two things, uh, Megan. One, uh, would you like us to give you our our black bassinet veil and upside down crucifix uh, from from when Christina, my child, was an infant? Uh, First of all, a hundred percent yes. And second of all, my sister has been almost nonstop texting me pictures of Victorian bassinets. <laughs> They're terrifying. They are fucking horrifying. Totally. <laughs> Even the ones that are not oh. like blo- like satanic. They are, they're, it's like, oh, definitely you should put your baby in this like death cage. Yes. No, totally. Totally. <laughs> um, at, at all Victorian furniture of any kind, but particularly children's stuff looks terrifying. But, um, yeah. Yo, you know, you know why they do that thing that the, the thing, the cage for babies that looks like a big dress? Why is that? No. Um, oh, oh, yeah. So they would have, they would have, there are all these paintings of babies propped up in, um, it looks like a wire or like wooden cage underneath of it. Yeah. And it's because they, they demanded that babies stand up because crawling was animal like and of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> so they would just kind of like prop that, them up. That, that totally tracks with everything I know and think about the Victorians. So. <laughs> I mean, also like they just, you know, go ahead and stuff your baby in this wicker basket that would like catch in, on fire within 30 seconds in a room yeah. full of arsenic green paint. Yeah. And, and, and with, yes. <laughs> and lead, lead furniture. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, little lead toys that you stick in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little little yeah. lead lollipop. It's sweet. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it is. It's sweet. That's one reason why children uh, are drawn to it. But, <laughs> um, but one thing I did want to say, but I, I actually think that we'll get, we'll, you know, your kind of like um, the reading that you have, Megan, we'll, we'll open this up a bit. Is that like, if, if this is really about the devil, I find the last scene absolutely lo- – or rather, I find like this, oh, no, the devil is real and they're real Satanists and the baby is the baby devil. Like that to me is when this goes from like a really compelling psychological thriller to just eye-rolling like this is some goofy fucking shit, you know? Like, yeah. um, and, and I think even like the film is sort of aware of that in that like it doesn't really show you the baby because I think no. – 
I think they knew that like if they actually tried to like make this thing goofy, it would it, people would laugh, right? Rather yeah. than be like, oh, but I think that like if that but if it's not actually about the like the uh, the literal narrative that we get and instead about some of the structures that the novel's thinking through, then I think that last scene does become like really sort of kind of heartbreaking and and um and and terrifying in a way that like if it's a devil baby, I'm kind of like, okay, this is fucking dumb, you know, right. <laughs> I just think it's like structurally necessary, not not like a good uh it doesn't quite do the scary thing, but I think it's just structurally necessary so we know that she didn't make all this shit up in her head. Yeah, no, I yes, I, I absolutely, but uh, well, you know what, I'll I, I will save my point for after. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cuz l- let's let's save it, but I also yes, cuz I have a t- I have the polar opposite take. Great. This this will be fun. <laughs> Cool. Okay. All right. So I do have a take, which we, sometimes we do this with this show and sometimes not. But like, so uh, my reading of this book is that it's really an extended critique of the inherently traumatic structure of the nuclear family. Um, so Rosemary, who's pregnant by Satan, knows that she's being watched, poisoned, probed, and medicalized. But those around her behave as though she's making it up. Although there are, of course, people doing it to her. Um, of course, because Levine is great, it turns out that she has not been imagining this and has been tricked and raped into participating in the institution of the family against her will and held there by medical and domestic institutions. Um, I <laughs> Part of the background, again, of this is like, I've been reading a lot of feminist critiques of the family and um, gestating, which have been very helpful and comforting because I find gestational labor to be um, grueling, depleting, horrifying, uh, uncanny, and bestial, (laughs) for lack of a better (laughs) list. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So sorry, other pregnant people um but i've really loved sophie lewis's book full surrogacy now uh it has a a larger structural argument but among them is that she argues that the nuclear family as we know it is a structure based on ownership including of children and she shows that quote infants don't belong to anyone ever obviously infants do belong to the people who care for them in a sense but they aren't property and she's arguing in favor of a utopian space where childhood and baby making might be beyond blood and private coupledom, which is a utopian vision that I find enormously compelling and, and that really sets aside or um, disentangles child making from the nuclear family, which again is like a, a traumatic structure. But um, it's so coming back to Rosemary's baby, like even though Rosemary's baby isn't her husband's, it is the horror product of the domestic sphere where your neighbors, your husband and your physical home are against you. And for me, it's also again, a book that nakedly depicts the wearing away that is pregnancy. She is constantly being increasingly depleted, isolated and sick um, and made uh, animal like the eating raw meat, for example, which again is a feature of pregnancy as the exemplar of the terror domestic. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
those are that's like a big sort of unusually i know like i am the theory bro of this podcast which is odd like <laughs> for me like, you say, um, like, okay so like althusser <laughs> <laughs> no heidegger is who you go to and you want to be a real dickhead yeah. as benjamin says yeah, about reproduction yeah true uh, I don't think Benjamin ever thought about women. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, but you know, certainly Papa Freud did. So okay, like I think that's great. I I I t- am totally down with your reading of it. Um, and I so I'll just as that to the the scene where it's it is the devil and there's a devil baby and she's like, okay, I I guess I'm gonna raise this devil baby. Uh, I'll raise it as my own because yeah. it is hers, right? It's also yeah, her. It yeah. is hers. It's Body. it's not guys, but it is it is definitely hers. Um. And like, so, right. So like where, as I said, if it's existed at the level of, of like, like Satan horror, then I'm like, okay, I'd stop caring about this. But if it's about those kind of patriarchal structures and like all these institutions that are arrayed against uh, the pregnant woman, then that to me is like, oh shit, this is like a very bleak and chilly narrative because what ends up happening is that like even recognizing uh, it for what it is, uh, there and that there's like no way out. What does she end up doing? She kind of acquiesces, sort of without choice. I mean, it's very like kind of capital I ideology to me at this moment. Um, and and that is like okay, shit. Like no, this isn't goofy. This is actually like quite heartbreaking and chilling. Um, but if but again, it's at Satan, I don't care. But <laughs> I think it has to be taken as this is the happy ending because like it would be a much more heartbreaking cynical it would be this i would despise this book with all that is in me if it ended up being like everything's fine you're crazy yes yes but but those but those aren't the two options that the novel presents the two options that the novel presents are either it's satan baby or it's regular baby that's going to be killed for a satanic ritual that may or may not be real Mm -hmm. but i think you know and katie you had sort of pointed this out is that like you don't you're not actually sure when you're reading it. Right. Yeah. If you've never, I, I didn't think, know if you were like supposed to be. Yeah. I think I'm too overdetermined by having been seeing this movie since I was a teenager. There's no way for me to read it without knowing. Right. Yeah. I think there is a, a question though, which is like, yes. And so I think it's sort of, I think the twist ending feature is sort of important. And it's not like that it matters so much that it's Satan necessarily, but. So I'm curious what what um why this why the fact that the baby is Satan uh makes it so goofy because to me that's <laughs> what like that's what makes it really um that's what makes the ending compelling. Yeah. I mean I think it's cuz I'm a godless heathen and I just can't take that serious. You know what I mean? It's like like yeah, I don't I mean go I ghost stories. I'm like uh, okay, like I just well, maybe that's me- just the kind of reader I am. I don't know. It's that like she – her husband is not anything like a partner to her. He's the structure – he's the figure of a husband, right? Yeah. And so why is – like so the devil is her husband. Like she has not imagined that she has – well, actually, she doesn't know this until the end. So now my point is a little bit moot. But like she's full of a patriarchal – system right it's literally in the thing that she is making with her body on behalf of the terror domestic this is what's interesting to me though because i don't know that that's i don't know that that's what's happening like i because at the 
because the the baby is down for her like all the way through the book. Like whenever she asserts herself, the baby does something. The the uh, I'm just gonna call. I'm assuming it's a full ass baby because it's the devils, and you know, like it doesn't. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's is it a fetus if it's the devils? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but when she does, oh, who knows? <laughs> like that's I don't know if we need to have that debate. But um, but so like every time she asserts herself, she's like she becomes like she's out of pain. Uh, and when she sort of like um, so she says like I'm not going to your fucking doctor anymore. Right. She stops hurting. And when she drinks, she doesn't drink the smoothie. She drinks the smoothie she wants. She feels good. So there's like some way that she is like wanting to and does align with with the baby the whole time. Like she sees it, she experiences it as as uh like her buddy. Right. And but- then it's like her against everybody else. But for her to everybody be else drops away. Embedded in a part of the the like horror domestic sphere, I think isn't in contradiction to this. I think because no. she doesn't she doesn't have a choice, right? Like I think that's a big part of it is that it's like she wants this thing, which is you a different form of utopia, which is the nuclear family. Yes. Right? She we, she does. She she wants it without hesitation. But she's she's shown to be by the logic of the book something else so there's a you know the sort of like i don't know like not very good reading from the 1980s would suggest that like what i'm saying is that she doesn't have any agency here no i guess um no yeah because because it's interesting that the the moments that or what gives her agency right you know um and so, like, the idea of her, like, what's her place? So, so Megan, I think, like, the, one of the really interesting questions that you're posing is um, what exactly is her participation in yes. the institution of the family? Absolutely. And so I wonder uh, about what's going on with the, like, so, so she objects to the fact that she's not able to it's not an institution that allows her to participate consciously and fully and like that's the that's the sort of like what the rape moment is maybe part in part about right and it's after it's directly after she says essentially like i've i've been doing like birth control shenanigans and trying to like have an oopsie you know, right? She's so been poking pa- holes in condoms, not really, but like metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's a power game. Like the the family is always a power game. I totally agree that the family is always a power game. I also think that that as soon as the cast of us show up, which would what has always been a power game between Rosemary and Guy becomes accelerated. Yeah, right. Yep. Because like they have new parents, and their parents in this new sort of structure are. Taking his side. Right. Yeah. In, under every case. Right. So they have to like introduce to her her um, arranged marriage with the devil. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's like all this stuff that this is sort of like, so they, so they are super wealthy and that's important too. Absolutely. Got, 
the guy also has a lot of money from his weird commercials. And I think that, so, so just to kind of like go back to something that Megan, you did highlight in a summary too, but that we kind of briefly touched on is how much pain she's in. Yes. So, so the moment when it, when the pain stops, which is an interesting thing is not just when she says like, I'm not going to your fucking doctor anymore. It's also when she says, I'm going to pay for the other doctor myself. I don't care what it costs. Right. Like, so but like, how is she going to do that? I remember reading that and being like, what is, how is she going to swing that? Right. Right. Cause she does. Yeah. Cause she has, she doesn't, she hasn't worked since they got married. She doesn't seem right. to have any independent re and she's also been kind of cut out from her family. So she wouldn't seem to have any resources that are not kind of dependent on her marriage to guy. Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying you're wrong because I think that gesture really matters. I just remember reading it and thinking like, I get wanting to do this, but I'm also sort of like, uh, it. <laughs> I don't know if people still do this or this is still something that people are told, but I remember that like my uh, people, my grandparents age used to tell people that women when they got married, like have a private secret account. Yeah. Right. Right. That yeah. your husband can't touch in case something goes fucking haywire. Yeah. 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 No, no. So I don't think that the money itself, or the realisticness of the plan is important. I think what's important is that she's like, she identifies where the power is. And she says like, even though I see that's where it is. And even though this makes mm-hmm. no sense, I still, I, I'll still fucking do it. Right. Yeah. Which I, which I don't know, you know, like, could she, who the fuck, like, yeah, right. that's. That's why I like I think it's both, right? I think the gesture really matters. I just also have that thought simultaneously of like Oh yeah. She is really, really trapped in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And again, I think we we don't have to talk about this, but I will be interested because Katie, you have this much richer understanding of the gothic than I do. Is like to what degree the physical building is also keeping her oh, yeah. in this institution. Oh, yeah. Because like Yeah. The locked mystery aspect of it is a great example of something that I'm like, this is fucking cool, but I have no idea what to do with it. Yeah. Well, and I like, <laughs> I actually even thought that like just in the kind of anxieties around them getting that apartment, right? Like they had to yes, break another yeah. lease and then they're locked into this other thing. And like she was, she really yeah. wanted to move into this building and guys kind of like, oh, that seems dumb. But then they do. And then they're locked into that, you know? So I actually thought that even like the, the sort of like mundane anxieties of like rent in like a big, yeah. a big city like New York were kind of part of that sort of like claustrophobia that the novels producing and they give like a uh like a a figure for how much money she's given the landlady which i find actually kind of touching like yeah Yeah. um it's a funny thing to to read to read a book from a different moment that references actors or or amounts of cash that were like present Mm -hmm. at that time right right Mm -hmm. because it makes you feel like did this feel hokey as fuck when it was written um but yeah, so she gives her the what would be the monthly equivalent of twenty four hundred bucks, which uh, is not going to get you any place in Upper Manhattan, as I understand. No. <laughs> but a nice studio. It's not like cheap. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but this is the fucking landlord gothic. Like that's what yeah. the whole thing. Like it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. Well, yeah, and, and so like actually to that like that it. 
like I, to, to go back to something you were saying earlier, Megan, like I, I absolutely do think that it, it yes, you, that for this to not be like an infuriating narrative, but to actually be like a quite, you know, a quite compelling one. Uh, she, it can't be that she's crazy and made all this up. It has to be validated. Um, but so like the Radcliffian Gothic, which we've talked about before, that impulse would be to like rationalize all of this. Like there's no Satan to make that go away. Well, that whole thing that like, no, she's not crazy. She's observing like an actual structure, like a real structure of her reality that like that. Well, then that is dependent on Satan and witches being real, even though like for me, it's like in the last pages, like it just as a reader that can't any longer be what this is really. about. but I think I'm kind of fine with because it, go, it goes from like the level of like the um, what we're real, most interested in is the narrative in some kind of literal sense versus like the narrative in this figurative sense. Like, I, I don't think that that switch from the literal to the figurative or to the allegorical like undermines anything. I actually think for me, it makes it like a much more compelling novel. I mean, and it's hard for me to sort of like take you do have to do this major step out of the the digestion of the novel as you've been reading it mm-hmm. to see that last part. Right. Yes. Right. It yes. does have to be realized in a way that makes you kind of go like, huh? Um, and part of that I think is because like she has been in the middle of it mm-hmm. for every moment until she's not. Right. Yeah. And then when she sees the outside of it, it's really jarring. I, I guess I guess it's just it this is just in, an interesting uh yeah this whole thing I'm just very surprised I guess that um there are so many ways you can read the the ending yeah uh which is a cool kind of feature and and it but it did sort of so my question I guess is that so like if she were quote unquote crazy which uh like isn't the, or even if she if she were imagining it um but observing what she's observing isn't that just as frightening as she's having a devil baby like that your husband and neighbors and doctor can just lie to you all the time and it's not satan it's just totally ordinary i mean i think it is totally ordinary but i think that her stress of it is or it's important to me that it not be pinned down to paranoia. Yeah. And but that she's- it's a different kind of affect for that. And I think it's also that like um, uh, a big part of that is the surveillance that is the pregnancy condition. Which is so weird in this book. It is weird in this book, but it's also like just a truism. Like that when you're pregnant, you're under under surveillance conditions because you feel like a weird – body in the world in a way that's like this isn't what the book is saying but it's something that i've experienced which is like i had never thought of myself as being anything but a most binary gender person until like i was put into the position of being maximally gender Mm -hmm. because a pregnant person is conceived to be as gendered as a person can possibly be so like even things you think of as being consistent about yourself in the world are radically shifted by pregnancy Right. So you're medically surveilled. You're surveilled by the family, uh, by your neighbors. Like everything yeah. is redetermined yeah. as a surveillance body because you're just no longer taken to be sovereign, which is fucking crazy. But, and then of course, by the state and by capital. Right. 
Yeah, and and I did I did think too um, that like so like it's some parts of like the Saperstein, uh, Doctor Saperstein's relationship with the cast of vets just seems so like huh like what that he's like like he, like he's like oh <laughs> right, yeah, Minnie right. told me that you were having like some kind of you know like that, that Dang, like yeah. he's having these like extended conversations with neighbors around it like that you're kind of yeah. like oh th- like this is a little like I I mean it's it's just like kind of stretches the imagination in a way that maybe even the Satan stuff doesn't but. <laughs> And yet, like the, the way the way that like yeah that like yeah that pregnant women are just sort of like endlessly talked about and around and like their pain ignored and like and and and, and plus and his imp like while like yeah that he's friends with your weird ass neighbors is maybe a little bit uh you know off the wall but like that he's like oh don't listen to your friends they're morons they're like any number of dipshit like ob's that would say don't shit don't talk like to that. your mom or whatever yes exactly yeah like uh so you know. Well, it also takes it as like, look, people say dumb fucking shit to you when you're pregnant, but also like you can like most people are can <laughs> like uh, probably she doesn't seem like a moron. So she could s- sift that information. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, right. And I mean, like maybe the doctor being part of the gossip circle. And, and yeah, you know, I mean, I made the HIPAA joke earlier. We we actually have laws about that. Oh, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, but that there's this huge fucking like gossip surveillance network around pregnancy. That is absolutely oh, yeah. real, you know? Like, That's real. So. So I think that like her paranoia has to be justified in the sense that like this is a novel about the terror of pregnancy in addition to being about the terror of the domestic and the family and all those things and that's like Mm -hmm. part of why i love it so much yeah yeah because it's like would it eat you it would 100 percent eat you it only needs you to be alive right it doesn't really need you to be high functioning yeah it'll kill you it'll make you almost dead if it can it'll kill you in reno just to watch you die that's right But uh, no, but what I was I was going to say that uh, the the, so the na- I do want to talk about the neighbors um, and actually Andrew Satan Andrew kind of made me think about this <laughs> um, and, and like one thing that struck me reading it is that like that there the the couple particularly um, particularly many cast of that is such a like midwest like like kind of midwestern like sort of i i like kind of yogaly in some ways right yeah yeah and because like okay if like you told me this is a novel about like these the satanists next door i would expect them to be like very kind of charismatic or maybe even you know sort of like some romanian cult like dracula or something like that not like i'm gonna like i'm gonna bring a pretzel salad over like (laughs) but but like okay but so i but i actually think that that is like really sort of integral to what the novel is trying to do oh yeah themes that they are so very kind of like very sort ordinary. of like middle American ordinary to it. Um, and then I think like, like Andrew Satan, Andrew kind of takes me back to that as well, but I'm just not. So what does that do? Does that redirect us to like, this is about like, you know, the embedded structures of patriarchy and in everyday quote unquote American life, or I, I'm not, I, I'm not sure. Also, I have to say the idea of a neighbor showing up all the time, wanting to invite me to dinner is much creepier than if some Romanian count lived down the hall. I have to say. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> I no. think it's just that, like, Levine is not bothered by this. He's like, oh, no, totally have, like, this gay couple as your neighbor, which they do. And 
like the weirdos and artists. Like he's into bohemian neighbors. He's just not into nosy neighbors. Yes, yeah. yes exactly. Right. <laughs> like, no, no, I, I agree. Like cool neighbors are fine, but like this kind of neighbor, uh, you know. Cool neighbors who know who you are, but are not in your fucking business. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, these are not those neighbors, but they also like are fucking buffoonish. Like, so it's important. They that are buffoonish. They're buffoonish. Like, they're doing. So they're doing. They're making like satanic desserts, right? Like to like you know to chocolate like knock- mousse. That's not. Chocolate she calls mousse. it mouse. <laughs> chocolate mouse. Yeah. Well, the dr- in her dream, she's hallucinating that it's mouse. Yeah. Right. Well, so she or does. Th- Minnie call it too. Minnie calls it mouse, and then she has this in the dream. She gets bitten by a mouse. So, um. And then she shows it to the mouse bite to Jackie Kennedy, who also shows up in her dream. Yeah, uh, JFK is the captain of the boat in the beginning of that dream. <laughs> right. It's actually I find that dream really like amazing because it is it is like what's this person doing here? Who the fuck knows? Like it's called chocolate. It's a mouse because she had this chocolate mouse before. You know, it's like yeah, associative yeah. in a way that I really love. Yeah. But like, so here's the thing, right? Like, so she's like, she's like queen Satanist. And so like, she's too much of a dumbass to like, try the spiked mousse before to make sure it doesn't taste like shit. Right. And she's like having like, she knows the walls are paper thin, but she has her recorder playing friend who's at all the rituals, <laughs> like yes. totally do the recorder right by the damn wall. Yeah. Like it's all the I had a didgeridoo playing neighbor once, no shit. And I felt like I was I this felt in the dorms. Like, no, this was in when I was like a grown ass adult and I had an apartment. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> That's awesome. That's not adult apartment living. No, he played the damn didgeridoo. That moment of silence. R.I.P. to my sleep when I lived there because he also had a lot of threesomes. <laughs> can you How did like, a guy with a didgeridoo convince more than one person to that, fuck him simultaneously? You, you, That's told, the Satan. Yeah. You told me about this guy, but you left out the didgeridoo part. <laughs> like, oh, I, I can't believe I left out the didgeridoo part. That's like one of the most important parts. This is this is again. This is like the institution of the neighbor that I just think is revolting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> neighbors are terrible all you should you can hear them playing their records that's fine i can hear their i can smell their bacon grease i don't mind any of that shit but like don't have loud threesomes <laughs> <laughs> is this really no i guess like even that's fine. like i wouldn't do anything if somebody did that i'd just be like whatever yeah it's the it's, it's the loud didgeridoo play and that it's like that is a bridge too far sir that is yeah. a bridge too far that's just like you don't know the manners you don't know the rules what when I lived in uh, in New York uh, for a, a version of grad school uh, there was some like dipshit that uh, had an alpen horn in the neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> selling Ricola cough drops like what <laughs> beckoning you I mean, to the- I'm sorry that is an asshole like unless you are like a, a like a Swiss farmer that just stepped out of some 17th century pastoral <laughs> painting that is an asshole instrument to want to learn like look I am super into Walter Scott right part of my brain has been like maybe i should learn to play the bagpipes but my socially responsible oh, part of my brain is no, like no 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 you do not do that like 
<laughs> you know. I have so many bagpipe stories that I can't tell on the podcast, but uh, <laughs> suffice to say, uh, so somebody who was at one point um, a part of my life played the bagpipes and had to go out to open field to do so. Yeah, I mean, exactly, <laughs> right? It's like if I lived in the middle of like Nebraska, maybe, but not not in, not in Chicago. <laughs> this just this makes me discourage want to discourage any children I have from ever learning an instrument. Even if it's like a relatively benign one, it's going to sound like shit for two years. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and I say this as a violin kid. Like my parents clearly did not think that it was going to sound like screeching cats for years. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard – you could – Tristan, your baby is officially old enough to take Suzuki lessons. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. Um yeah. Not that I am encouraging you to do that. It turns it turns you into a terrible person as obviously. Look, like the origins of my being a terrible person are manifold, but that's just one of them. <laughs> so Katie, I do I really do want to ask you about like Tristan, maybe you have thoughts about this too. Mine are like not very smart about the house itself. Oh. Cuz isn't that the gothic the the max the most gothic aspect of it that is so that's like a yeah, so the thing that is most gothic about the house is the is the lease like the contract yeah. right and so that's like that stands in for in the more traditional gothic it would be uh secluded in a place that you couldn't get you know you couldn't right. um you couldn't escape from this is just like a fully like it's embedded in the the thing that the traps you there is embedded in like the laws and structures of our modern times when we have like landlord leases yeah. and shit and so that's going on there and also like this so also the fact that we have um one apartment that's been broken into yeah. many apartments yes, yes. And, and so we have all these like secret doors and we have someone who the apartment with the way we get the apartment is like in some way, uh, Rosemary and Guy inherit the apartment from the woman. Absolutely. Yes. There. Yeah, yes. totally. I, and I also too felt that that like that, that I was thinking about that, like kind of the history of, uh, of those big ass apartment buildings in, in Manhattan in that like, yeah. So there's like, there's this, these, this pre-war era where like things were huge. And then like after, you know, second half of the 20th century, it gets much like, it does get broken up. Right. Like, but, but, but yeah. So like they are living in this vestige of like an earlier time that is on the other side of some kind of historical divide. I mean, in practical reality, that's like world war two and the depression, but like it also seems to be signifying something I think in the novels terms. And maybe all it is doing is, is it's like it, it is creating, a space in the American city for that kind of the Gothic, right? It's like, it's this, it's this form from a prior history that has like been retained, but in like a degraded or chopped up way into the present. Well, do you mm -hmm. think it's like, yeah. I don't know enough about the history of New York. Cause I know that like parts of it, that used to be skeezy are now like a million dollar homes. But, uh, do you think part of it too is about like, it's just a shifting of wealth because like enormous apartments that now become medium sized wealth. Yes. I don't know what people consider medium sized. I still consider their apartment to be enormous. No, I, I mean I think that's so this is the upper west side which is different. I mean uh, what I was just thinking of the, the the upper east side where you know if you walk along um like uh 5th Avenue and Park Avenue uh, there, there are all these like fucking giant mansions that were like robber baron mansions is what they were. Right. 
And if they haven't been broken up into apartments, they've been now converted to hotels or they've been there. Like they're, they're just, they're just no long, like, like this is not where like the America's like dipshit princes live anymore. Um, and, right. and I think the upper e- the upper West side, um, like had, had a version of that as well. You're right. It is like, it's a, it's a, like, it's a transition from this gilded age kind of like, uh, extreme wealth to like in the sixties. I mean, like you could, there were middle-class people living on the Upper West Side then. Like that was- uh, Right, you know, that's what I thought. Like, and working artists and stuff like that in a way that now it's just millionaires, like the, basically most of the island of Manhattan, but- Right, so it's not other parts of Manhattan, which is like, um, this is true in Chicago too, where there are places in the Gold Coast or whatever that are now apartments that used to be ginormous mansions. Right. But like- <laughs> Oh my God, it would freak me out a lot if I lived in such close quarters that it was possible to have a locked room mystery yeah. between me and my neighbors. Yes, totally. Because the apartment that I live in, which is a 1906 building, it's an old building, but it's always been two apartments with tiny bedrooms yeah. because because people used to not hang out in their bedrooms Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> 100 years ago. Yeah, the the building we recently moved into it's a it's eighteen ninety four and it's got like it's quite clear all of the closets were built sometime in the middle of the twentieth century because they don't match you know and they're all of these weird angles because it's like hey back when you had three clothes you know you, right. didn't, you didn't need closets <laughs> you have a wardrobe yeah you have a wardrobe or you just hang your 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 Sunday wear on a hook or something you know but like, yep yeah <laughs> yeah so it's just I find the like that reorientation of wealth from mansions to people sort of like i don't know when i watch the movie or when i read the book i'm like they sure don't feel like they're living in a cramped abode to me right no but it's still like Mm-mm. a different kind of quarters right yeah it's like if the the their their four bedroom apartment which is like palatial by any kind of uh modern new york standards like if it had been the 10 that is described as it originally being uh that that is like i mean that like who the fuck lives in some place like that like how many servants do you have you know like, <laughs> i know it's all fucking servants which is like probably why they have that weird tunnel yeah between the between the closets which is like you need secret passageways when it's like a wealth thing yeah and now it just becomes a secret passageway for like how satan got in yeah yeah or how patriarchy is omnipresent and embedded in in the structures of building. literally in the walls <laughs> literally wow. in the walls yeah <laughs> yeah um i guess i just wanted to say too that like what a complete dipshit guy is even before we get that he's a rapist which happens like almost about halfway through the novel yeah like he, the way he gets inducted into this satanist pl- like he doesn't even want to live in this building in the first place it's like right it's like so it's not like that it's like they go over for dinner one night uh because the cast of vets invite them over and he doesn't even want to go but then like roman gets talking to him about the theater and within the space of apparently like 15 minutes guys like oh yeah you oh, oh so you want me to sell the kid to you and you're like, oh, that's fine <laughs> sure man yeah I'll tell you my baby that's not his baby i think there's two things about guy that are noteworthy and one is that like he's exceptionally flat right so like he's not it that it's that way on purpose he's kind of mean to her but he's not we don't have any access to his interiority no. nor would we want to no right no. but also like i think it it is super super important that he's an actor in that yes. She is able 
not to recognize that he's fucking with her until very, very late in the book. Yes. And I think the funny thing, again, to sort of like toggle back and forth is that there's a degree to which it's a mistake to put John Cassavetes in this movie because he's so much more compelling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's not flat. No, no. Um, so he, like here, here's the thing about Guy, which is which is just everything. Like what not about him? He's one of the most interesting and boring parts of the book. That yeah, like Megan, totally. I it, it's so important that he's an actor. And like, so this is another fun fact from college that I learned that I don't know if it's true because I've never like sort of found it again. But apparently, like way back, like in the in the yield and Renaissance times, people were like very untrusting of actors. Um, I think that's true until like eleven years ago. Yeah, <laughs> but like for religious reasons. Oh, for. Because they could like pretend to be stuff. Because like yeah, because that because that whole thing because like the, something about uh like and I think it goes back to also the kind of like like cult of sincerity that that oh I see develops, sure. like later that's not like a Renaissance thing but like that that comes later that has something to do with this shit. So like there's something weird and like very long standing about actors being um you know. Uh, creepy so it's not like the victorians who are like we hate the women because we think they get their boobies out on stage and like (laughs) grand guignol each other right and like sleep in slums or whatever but but like when when, in the lead up to like the english civil war right like anytime the puritans would come to power and some the first thing they would do is there shall be no theaters you know, like. <laughs> right. I think they may have been right about. By the way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I as far as I'm concerned, they're right about that until Bertolt Brecht comes along, and then I'm like, that's fine. But <laughs> otherwise, before that, I'm just like, fucking burn him. I don't care. I mean, I, I, you know, you know, how many one man shows would be avoided if we'd only listened more to the Puritans. <laughs> hey, you know, like you know what uh, you know what John Wilkes Booth's profession was? Yeah, he was a fucking actor. His whole family were actors. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So. They were. I had forgotten that everyone in his family was also an actor, and so like. Second gen actors are worrying yeah, too. Yeah. So we're supposed to be afraid of the patriarchy in some way. Mm-hmm. And it's like everywhere. It's like all kinds of places. But we can't. So the way that it manifests itself in Guy is really strange because, in fact, he's an accessory to rape. He is. Not oh, the rapist, right? That's actually a great point, right? It because is. it's supposed to, it's supposed to actually be Satan, right? Yeah, because um, right. because it wouldn't be like that's the thing, right? Like, so it could in fact be that if the if the the kid wasn't actually Satan, then it could be the guy is, is a rapist, mm. but he isn't. But he oh, is complicit right. and involved, and like he facilitates it, and he is, uh, you know responsible right right yeah i mean that's really interesting because then it's sort of like uh i mean well so sort of like to to that to that kind of the reading that it is about these patriarchal structures would that then i mean uh take the question from like the individual like like shitty dude the individual bad actor and more again embedded in like the structure itself is the is the root cause of the, the the kind of violence, or is that? I mean, I mean, I think his ta- his his tactics here are not actually to be like physically violent with her, but to like push her along in such a way that she 
buys it. Yeah, and and, and mm-hmm. so in that so in that his his yeah. being accessory to to the the rape uh, with taking Satan to be the the literal rapist that 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 would very much then go along with his pattern of like kind of abuse and just general shittiness throughout. That it is that yeah, it's like the the, the coercive getting her like that that is his function the coercive getting her to go along with with these drugs like he he's the agent within the home that is doing right. that kind of mm-hmm. work. I think so. And he's not the sort of like, because it does, again, have to be like quietly and ordinarily institutionalized through her doctor, her husband. Like most of the oppressive parts of this can't be violent or they wouldn't be interesting critiques. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also important that until until this, uh, this satanic cult element is introduced until he, so what happens is like by magic, this cult blinds this guy who is, uh, has got a part in a play that he wants. Right. right? And so, and then guy gets it and that's what he exchanges, right? Like Tristan, you, you gave this rundown, I think. Um, and so, but the, what's important about this is until he gets this like material, uh advantage from betraying rosemary he is a shithead but he's not an abuser before that no i agree he's just like kind of a a not great but boring husband yeah like he's yeah he's like he's not present and he's you know kind of a dipshit but yeah but again for me this sort of like uh, just bolsters this idea that it's like, this is the terror ordinary, right? Like that's not, he doesn't need to be violent or scary. He just needs to be moving her along the path yeah. of yeah. deep and deeper into the structure. Yeah. yeah. It's actually scarier because it's that anyone could, when, be, when any, and I don't know what the book thinks about this, but like any man could, when presented with the right opportunity, uh, like trade you to Satan. Right. Well, any husband, anyway. Right. Yeah, any husband. Right. Yes, right. right. Not right. her friend. Not any man who's older than she is, who's like actually kind of looking out for her. Yeah. Not her brother, who I think she has a real relationship with, but like any husband. Which again, that is a fucking great. Like as a critique. Yeah. That yeah. any husband could like sell you out. I'm now I'm feeling a little bit like, should I be looking for cameras <laughs> well, <laughs> in my apartment? You know, hey, you know, was, uh, <laughs> move on to Stepford Wives again after, right? Right. It's really the Stepford husbands. Yeah, he's like not, uh, Levine is not in love with husbands, which again is like, Man, how many things can I like about him? No, I know. And again, I don't like, I mean, I don't want to be the look, look how woke this white dude was. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> but like, but the, these are products of the mid-1960s. I can't help but be like, that's kind of cool. I mean, that is kind of awesome, yeah. you know, like. But I think it also sort of reminds, like, take it from the other point of view, which is like, even a white dude has access to yes. seeing these structures. It's not like no, it, you right. have to be in them in a particular kind of way to see them. That's a great point. It's not, it's not that you don't, it's not that like, oh, you get a fucking cookie. It's like, yeah, like you can, you, you, you can have aware, you can actually like see this shit, you know, like, yeah. So, and you can see it in a horror idiom and not in just a like, well, it's fucked up, I guess, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can actually see it as like terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry that we have to get wrapped up, but Katie, do you have quizzes, 
questions, Yelp reviews, or am I the asshole for us? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have something totally, totally different. And if the question is, am I the asshole? The answer is yes. <laughs> the, ans- the, answer is, the answer is always yes, yes. For, for everybody. Um, so since in honor of football season, uh, Do what? I now? Thought, in a, I thought we'd throw the pigskin around, um, and by that I mean I've made a a um, basketball a sort of, season isn't for another like couple months. I don't know what you're football. on about. F- football? Are you ready for some football? <laughs> I feel like I'm supposed to be a football abolitionist because of the like head injuries. Yeah, I, I had to swear off the Eagles a few years ago. But. Katie probably watches the Eagles now because you're in you're in Philly. If you, I don't watch the Eagles. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how these things work. I where I, my team in Portland, there's only a soccer team and a basketball team. I, I yes, I scream E A G L E S Eagles. I go to all the parades. I eat horse shit straight off the you street. Listen, I mow it right you in my face. W I P Angelo in the morning. <laughs> I don't get the reference, but I bet it's good. You can turn on the dial where you live right now and hear this Six ten or ninety four point one. Yeah. <laughs> well, somehow wow. we've gotten to sports, like sports, sports. football talk. So you can ask questions. I'm not sure I'm going to know a single answer, <laughs> but go for it. Okay, so what I, what I what I mean by that, the secret hidden satanic meaning is that we're doing a um, a, a fantasy bracket here. Okay, we're going to do the Super Bowl of um, of satanic things. Cool. And so, of course, we have two leagues, and we decide at the end the winner is the most satanic, <laughs> and we have two brackets. Okay. We have the neighbors bracket and the marriage bracket. Okay. Yes. And those are the most important ones. Yes, and we're gonna we're gonna fight to the finish here, and we're gonna see just what's the most satanic thing in this in this fucking book. Okay, yep. so would you like to start with the neighbors bracket or the marriage bracket? We've got to kind of uh, get the winner out of both. Let's start with neighbors because, like, they're they're extremely creepy, but like one percent less creepy than marriage. Yeah, terrific. Okay, so the two teams. In this, uh, the first team is smoothies. Okay, <laughs> yeah, smoothies. So, the two things you do with smoothies: sell them in pyramid schemes or make demon babies. Yes. Smoothies. Mm-hmm. Yes. The second thing is Doctor Shand playing the recorder. Mm-hmm. Which one is more satanic? Playing the recorder by your neighbors or smoothies? I think recorder. I, I no, I don't know. I mean, it, like probably because I've got a, a fife and a tin whistle in my desk right now. Like, I think that's a normal <laughs> thing to do. do. Not do you really? Do you want to see the? Actually, I did. I lied about the fife because my son did something to it. I don't know where this, but here's the tin whistle. <laughs> <laughs> are you? <laughs> are you? Hand. You didn't have to move. <laughs> you are you a fucking hobbit? Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just a deeply weird uh, fuck. <laughs> so maybe that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's, I mean, smoothies are like, first of all, there is no thing, such thing as a smoothie. It's not deeply revolting. Like I've just, I've never had one. Wrong. You're wrong. All right. Well, then we got different answers on this. I say it's the smoothies and, uh, you know, like. Do I have to- <laughs> 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 Oh my God. I'll tell uh, you about this when I see you next, but you can make smoothies that taste like sorbet and they're delicious. I believe you sort of. Okay. Um, 
Megan, I'm sorry, but coin flip goes to the person with the fucking recorder. <laughs> it's, a, I, it's a tin whistle, ab- guys. It's a tin <laughs> Or whatever the fuck it is. I absolutely accept the loss here and deserve it. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, uh, okay. So the next, the next two teams um, are the book that Mr. and Mrs. Castavet have next to their toilet entitled Jokes, <laughs> Jokes for the for John. The- again this is like you know they can't actually be they can't have a you know the huge table coffee table book i have from the mutter museum right they have to have like that would i would be happy if i went into a bathroom and saw that like right but you think of somebody like maybe you have some like satanic leanings maybe you know what anton levey looks like so you can identify him in the movie rosemary's baby right right yes the jokes for the john it would be slightly more safe and jokes for the job. Right. <laughs> right. Well, here's the other here's the other team is stealing one glove to do a satanic ritual, which they do at one point. Yes. Steal both or steal none. If you're going to kill the guy, fine, but don't torture him. I mean Right. Yeah. Jokes for the job. That is like creepy, but like that the the steal I mean, when you start stealing people's like clothing articles, that just takes it to a whole new level. You know, yeah, I'm kind of with Tristan here. I mean, it's like, yeah, especially because that seems also intended to torture someone. Yes. Okay. Because so- if you can keep a pair of gloves together for a year, you're a hero. <laughs> but I know. If someone can steal it from you, that's not that's not the same. Like I leave them on the bus. That's why I've spent two dollars on every pair of gloves I own. Yeah. I lose sunglasses all the fucking time. <laughs> you don't have prescription ones? No, because I, I usually wear contacts when I'm wearing sunglasses. Okay, because I never lose my prescription ones because you just trade them out. Yeah, and also that that's like a – you can start losing prescription glasses. That's a different level, right? That's what I'm yeah, saying, right? Problem. And also like it's, it's a, it, is a, it is like a dork level nine to have prescription sunglasses. And Mr. Cool Guy, Tristan with the tin whistle would it's never. Cl- I, I know. It's like <laughs> – that has to be the coolest thing you guys have seen all week, I'm sure. But also with my- uh, excuse me, I go to Savage Garden concerts, but also I have a tin whistle. Oh, so you want to? I'm wearing, I'm wearing a NASA T-shirt right now. <laughs> I again, I am wearing a back brace and a uh, heating pad stuffed into my shirt. <laughs> I have 75 different crystals stuffed in my bra for the vibes. So. <laughs> that's where they live. Yeah, yeah, that's where they live. <laughs> okay, so here's the last uh, two teams in this bracket. Um, okay, so we have Mrs. Castavet and Old Lady pop in to visit Rosemary to do crafts, unannounced, uninvited. The second team is uh, Mrs. Castavet being from Bushyhead, Oklahoma. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean that that may have it like but I, I don't I mean it's like you know what like I I I um I the idea of someone randomly showing up in my house to do crafts that I can't think of anything more horrifying so that's my answer. Okay. So my answer is the same but for a slightly different reason which is that like knitting or crochet or sewing or fucking handwriting whatever is like only fun because you get to do it by yourself. (laughs) Like that's the whole pleasure of it is that you're like, Oh, I get this like incredibly small scale, like 
create something, but nobody right. hangs out with me. Right. Like someone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like if I were good at things, which I've said before, I'm not, uh, I could totally see doing that. Like it's you know, kind of, uh, as, as relaxing, but yeah, people, I just, I, yeah, when I'm in my house, I'm in my house. I don't, I don't want people showing up randomly. <laughs> it's very relaxing until you wake up on a Friday morning with surprise carpal tunnel. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, yes. cool. hi, hi again, be. Adrian. Hi again, Adrian. Thanks for thanks for the surprise symptoms. Hello, Adrian. Can we do the Rocky, Adrian? Can we yell that way? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <Yo>. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to do that with. We'll have to do that like the way they do the Lion King thing when you like hold up the yeah. newborn. Bum 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 yes. bum 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 bum. You know, only bum, bum, with the uh, the Rocky, Adrian. Yeah, I love it. All right, the marriage bracket. I think. Um, I think is is a is a quicker is a quicker go through. So um, so so let's get right to it. We got a lot of good teams here today. Um, the first matchup in the marriage bracket is fucking right after playing a multi day game of Scrabble. <laughs> right. Yes. Which happens uh, versus guy doing witchcraft to blind a person, and when he has to give an account of his guilt, describing himself as quote a living turd. <laughs> Wait, so so are we, we is the, the question is still the creepiest or like which owns the most which is the most satanic the most satanic okay oh scrabble yeah okay. scra- yeah we're going with scrabble yeah okay. well because i uh bet uh, oh man i hope nobody calls me on this i bet 80 dollars that my husband can beat me at scrabble and i have a phd in words <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um relevant because like I there is no take this to the bank. There's no correlation between good at words and good at scrabble. Right. And and I just again They're totally different skills. Not being good at things. I don't like board games of any kind make me like upset. So Okay. I would be I would be like I have this degree and I'm competitive and I would I would lose and then I would be like I'm never having sex with you again let alone right now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's legit. I respect it. All right, second team, are you ready? Yep. Absolutely. Second two teams, second matchup. Okay, team number 1. Rosemary gets a haircut and Guy calls it, quote, the worst mistake of your life, oh. knowing knowing full well that she is married to him. Right. Versus, <laughs> and it's done by Vidal oh, Sassoon. Are you fucking kidding yeah. me? Yes. Versus Guy goes by a stage name, meaning he had to pick a name for himself and went with Guy, which is more satanic. Uh, the last one to me is just boring. The haircut, thing, particularly because, like, I think what may, what pisses him off about it is just that it's short, and it's like yes. that. That's like that's like a whole like thing with the Proud Boys and all the dipshit. All it's like, well, short hair is the sign of of the decay of the the Western female. Like, yeah, no, that's the creep. That's the most satanic to me. Yes, I agree. Especially okay. because I feel like if he had any, I feel like that haircut is very like uh, edgy and. Of the moment, and if you had any awareness of that whatsoever, he would know that. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very mod haircut. Also, telling your wife she looks gross is like a nice way of getting, like, yeah, d- demoted in my book. Yeah, just don't, don't, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Fully agree. Fully agree. 
your There's pregnant wife who already feels like uneasy and is eating chicken livers or raw chicken hearts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the bare hands. Okay, last last matchup. Um, is guy's big foray into witchcraft is blinding a guy so he can be in a fucking play <laughs> versus Rosemary is a huge bitch about how Miss Mrs. Castavet's ass and thighs look in her tight lime green pants. She is a big meanie about the um, Toreador pants. Yeah. Yeah, so which is more satanic? Uh... I have to say that when I read that, I was pissed at her. Yeah. All right, so that wins. Like just based on my own sort of like knee jerk yeah. reaction, like a like a like a just first reaction at that one's. Worse. Yeah, it, it was kind. Of, I, yeah, I think I'm going to go with that too because it was it was maybe the only time in the book where I felt slightly like some sympathy for many cast of that other than just like horror. <laughs> so yeah, right. <laughs> and I wasn't even mad that she made fun of her lime green pants. Like that's yeah. not the end of the world. No, it's it's the body shaming that just not. That's yes. not cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, you cool can make fun of somebody's pants choices. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, so now we've got we have our first round, and so here's here's how we're gonna we're gonna wrap this baby up. So Alrighty. Megan, I'm gonna give you the neighbors bracket choices, and you're gonna pick out of the three which is the most satanic. Got it. Okay, is it Doctor Shand playing the recorder? Is it stealing one glove to do a satanic ritual, or is it a pop in visit involving crafting? Oh, recorder. Okay, so the recorder is the most satanic. Uh, Tristan. So I'm going to let you decide the marriage bracket, um, which is the most satanic. Fucking right after playing Scrabble. Uh, Rosemary getting a haircut and guy calling it the worst mistake of your life. Uh, Or is it Rosemary being a huge bitch about the pants? Yeah, it's I, I'm gonna go with the haircut thing again. I'm getting too many like MRA like Proud Boy vibes yeah. from that shit, and it's just a total yeah, yeah. douche move. So. <laughs> okay, Such a douche move. So now here's the moment of truth. We have to decide. You two have the most important decision of your lives to make. Which is more satanic: playing a recorder against paper thin walls, or calling your pregnant wife's haircut the worst mistake of your life? Which is the most satanic thing? Haircut. 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 Sweet. Haircut. And not at all, because I'm going to play my recorder after we hang out. <laughs> 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 I will, uh, I will, um, I can't believe I'm calling out my husband for once doing this, but like, um, I remember putting on a skirt and being like, does this make me look, um, chunky and he said he once said uh well squat maybe <laughs> oh shit dude Jesus. <laughs> come, come on man <laughs> like, <laughs> and he's like he I, I i trust his style very much but usually it would be something like oh i think the black sweater would be better which right. i would totally accept and change but it was just one of those moments of like oh, yeah you can you can do much better okay, we we all we all we all have dumb moments <laughs> we all have incredibly dumb moments and at least during pregnancy has been incredibly sensitive which is wise yes indeed okay so thank you for really settling for us the depth of patriarchal um cruelty which is making fun of a haircut <laughs> <laughs> it's true and also you know letting the devil rape your wife yeah
Mm. I left that one off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, okay, so this has been Better Red Than Dead. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me at Tusslersaurus. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Better Red Pod, R-E-A-D. And email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if you want to tell us about a personal experience with a demonic baby with red hair. Uh, our theme song is Love Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo is designed of Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We still have gifts for reviewers, so just send us a screenshot, and we'd love to get some buttons out to you. Um, next week, our Halloween Fright Fest continues with The Castle of Otranto. I've never read it, but apparently it's the first gothic novel and involves people getting uh, squished. It is deeply weird and cool. Cool. I mean, this is in keeping with our Halloween themes. Uh, and then finally, you will all hear our double episode on Ulysses um, and then followed by Rob Roy. So thank you. Thank you.